Come on, he is worthy. Yes. Praise the Lord. Man, I, I was ready to keep going in worship today and just keep singing, oh, praise the name. Man, what a great time to be together. Hey, you're looking so good today. Give somebody a, a fist bump or a high five or something and don't make it weird. Just, you know, be cool, act cool. Even us introverts can be cool for about an hour in a public gathering. Man, so good to be with you guys today. Fun to, fun to have one service and get to be with everybody in, in one, uh, one moment. And it allows me to just like lay it out a lot on the field. I don't have to conserve any energy for second service so I can just be fully Pentecostal. Ha! Come on! Ha! Preach. And uh, man, such, such a great time to be together today. I love that song we sang, There's Joy in the House of the Lord. We live in a, in a world in which joy is at a, uh, a deficit. Uh, and, you know, we're called Joy Church. And one of the things that we, we want to do is we want to live up to our name. And we don't manufacture joy. Our joy comes because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because we serve a God who is worthy. Come on. Our joy comes because we are brothers and sisters, uh, broken sinners that have come to the foot of the cross and received redemption from Christ. And he's turned us into saints. And now we have holy purpose and we can have joy in a down, discouraged, depressed, discontented world. Come on, somebody. Excited. We're, we're in a series about worship called Worthy, and we believe that God is the ultimate aim and target of our worship, the ultimate aim and target of life, and that when you do as Jesus said, put the kingdom of God first, and all these things will be added unto you, we believe in making God that sole focus of our, our pursuit in our life. And one of the ways we engage in that is through living a life of worship making God the chief aim of our attention, affection, and allegiance. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells two very short stories or parables about kind of this idea of going after something with all that you are, all that you have. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. He tells another story. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. He sold everything he owned and bought it. Jesus, we welcome you in this place today. I pray that, God, we would have this heart like you taught us, like this merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when we find the pearl, when we find this pearl of great price, that we would go all in, that there would be nothing held back, and that, Lord, this would be how we are with you, that our life would be given in this pursuit of you, given in pursuit of this relationship with you and lived out of this relationship with you because, Lord, you are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure hidden in the field. You are worthy to receive our worship, worthy to be the sole focus of our time, our talents, our attention, affection, our devotion. We give it to you today, Lord. We welcome you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. My, uh, my son, Jack, this week, he, he said something in the car, uh, and I, I loved it. Uh, he says so many great things, all the kids do, you know, that, that show, Kids Say the Darndest Things. But I was thinking about this message today and kind of meditating on it. A lot of times I'll write my notes early in the week and then kind of let the Holy Spirit speak to me through the rest of the week uh, what he wants to say. And, and the Holy Spirit moved through Jack this week because this message today is, is about how God receives our worship and the way that we are to worship, specifically as a congregation, coming together in these holy moments on Sundays and any other time we're gathered together to worship the Lord. And uh, Jack said, Dad, Mom, listen, if you want to pay me or you want to bless me, you want to you give me something, then I want to I tell you how to do that. It's the three B's. And that's how I knew right now Jack is called to be a pastor because he's got the three B's. Come on. 
any of the Joy Church staff know, if I come with a message, it's going to be like the three C's, the three F's, the three D's, the three K's. We have every letter of the alphabet just mapped out. There's some spiritual connotation. So Jack's already moving in the anointing. Come on. So <laughs> Jack's like, Mom and Dad, it's the three B's if you want to bless me. Uh, he says the three B's are this. Bucks, bedtime extensions, wait for it, bacon. <laughs> yeah. No cap. No cap, all right? Where's Gen Z at? Is that cool? Did I use that right? No? I don't know. Okay. Anyways, I'm looking for Gen Zers in the house today, but Bethany's like, nah, bro. Anyways, Jack's like, bucks, bedtime extension, bacon. This is how he wants to receive his worship. You know, how he wants to receive what we, we do for him. And I just thought, son, those are all really good things. You know, get, I mean, pay me in cash, bucks, right? Bedtime extension. I mean, for me, I want a bedtime early extension, right? Like you get to go to bed earlier, wake up later, but he wanted to stay up later. And, uh, and then bacon, which I think we can all agree is the universal currency and the way to bless someone. It reminded me of a time in Jack's life when we, we, Joy Church was a much smaller church. We were maybe 50 or 60 people, and we were, uh, we were meeting at the Hilliard Community Center, packing that place out. Uh, at one point, there was just one of those, those dividing walls, like the, uh, the, the, what are they called? The, I don't know, temporary wall, and the kids were on one side, and the adults were on the other, so we had to be real loud and excited and exuberant just to drown them out, you know, on the other side of the wall. But we used to do these midweek services and groups at our house. And so we'd have 30 or 40 people gathered there, a bunch of adults, a bunch of kids, just hanging out, loving Jesus together. And at one of these, these groups, somebody made bacon. And that's a good way to elevate the Holy Spirit at a meeting, right? And uh, we're telling our kids, like, hey, take two and, you know, let, let there be enough for everybody. So at the time, I think Jack was, what, two or three years old? And Bethany had put him to bed, and she goes down to pray for them and kind of finish the bedtime routine. And Jack's got his covers up, right? Remind me if I'm saying this wrong, but got his covers up to his chin, and he's just like perfectly there, you know, in the bed, which is, if you have kids, you know, that's, something's going on. <laughs> How many of you parents have ever said these three words, it's too quiet, you know? <laughs> because if it's too quiet, they're up to something, right? And, uh, and sure enough, he was. So he's there in bed, laying there perfectly still. And Bethany pulls back the cover, and Jack has about eight or nine or ten pieces of bacon. <laughs> Sitting on his chest, holding it in his hands. Homeboy had a bacon bouquet. Come on. So Jack is, is not messing. He, this is how he wants to be blessed. And I think about God and how we worship God. And we live in a culture in which we sort of like to... To, to make everything about how we want to express, how we want to identify, how we want to relate to the world, and how everyone's supposed to relate to us. And then we come to the God of heaven and earth, and, and you know, God is not really interested in our consumeristic Christianity. Like, He desires our worship. And He desires our worship for our own benefit, and He desires our worship. Uh, to give us the gift of himself. There's all these wonderful blessings and reasons that God wants us to worship him. But there's also this big sort of overarching reason, which is that he's worthy. He's worth it. He's the only one worthy of giving your entire life to the entire focus of your time and attention and affection and pouring it out on God. And so God just sort of resonates truth. Like when God plays golf, you know what he scores? 18. Yeah, he's perfect. Somebody's like, yes, yeah. God doesn't, God isn't arrogant when he says, worship me. God desires our worship 
Jesus said this to this woman at the well in Samaria. He says, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is looking for true worshipers that will embrace this life of worship and recognize and live in the reality of who he is. Align our lives to the reality of God. He says we do this by worshiping in spirit and in truth. We get right doctrine, right beliefs, right thoughts about God, right thoughts about ourselves. We let the Bible speak to our thinking and rewire us as we just finished going through that series. And then we also engage God with the totality of our spirit. We're spirit-filled believers. We are filled with the spirit of God for mission and purpose, but also in, in resonance with the spirit of God that we're, we're, we're connected to him. There's a real and dynamic and living relationship God is spirit, Jesus says, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I believe that one of the reasons our Christianity is not contagious in our world today is not because we need better services, because we need to sing different songs or preach more relevant messages, but it's because Christians are not captivated by the beauty of Jesus in their spirit. You see, we can agree with the truth of the gospel, but if the gospel is not resonating out of the inside of us and beaming out of us, where you can't deny that the light of God is coming through, come on, I'm talking about that supernatural joy and presence of the Lord that comes in a true worshiper. The world's not like, well, you know, you really have something to offer because they can look at all kinds of different creeds and things and find whatever ism or osophy or religion sort of fits their, their preferences at the moment. But when there's the reality of spirit and truth together, it's dynamic and it changes the world. God desires our worship. The other thing is that when we look at being believers and being Christians is that we, we bring a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, in, in religion and in, in any kind of religion throughout history, there was always this giving, this offering, this laying down something that costs you something in honor of the one that you're worshiping. King David said, I won't offer to God something that costs me nothing. But as you know, in our day and age, we don't come and bring a bunch of lambs and, and goats and bulls and do like a sacrifice service here. You know, you might have walked into Skate World, the old Skate World, now Joy Church, and thought, man, they have these concrete floors. Is that because they're going to be doing like blood sacrifices and we need to be able to clean it? That's the Friday night service. But no, we don't do that on Sundays. Joke. I'm offended. No, we don't do that. The pedo would just be crazy about that, you know. So. Anyways, uh, we don't do that. So we don't bring a sacrifice of chickens, bulls, goats like they did in the Old Testament because we believe Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, right? He was the Lamb of God, sacrificed for our sins once and for all to appease the wrath of God, make a way for us to have relationship with God. But that doesn't mean we don't bring a sacrifice. Yeah. See, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Now, this is something that I grew up listening to, hearing, and maybe some of you are like, yeah, I know what he's going to say now. Uh, but for a lot of people, they don't understand this principle. They haven't been taught this. This is not something that has become living to you. And, and, and I want to I open up your worship today so that when you come to church, you, you understand the significance and the value of what you're coming to do on a Sunday morning as you gather with your brothers and sisters in the house of God. Continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. In our day, post the... the Crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the old temple sacrificial system is no longer. It was fulfilled by Christ. But we now bring a sacrifice of praise, our words that openly profess the name of Jesus. And we talk about this idea of worshiping and 
praising God. You know, this morning as we were singing, oh, praise his name, uh, I usually lose my voice on Sundays, and it isn't from preaching. It's because when I'm here in the presence of God, I'm, I'm singing at the top of my lungs. Because what I understand is I'm here, God, to bring, just like somebody in the Old Testament would bring the lamb or bring the, the, the bird or whatever to give a sacrifice, I am bringing the fruit of my lips, my words as a sacrifice of praise. You know, I couldn't sing loud enough, sing long enough to even equal the worth and value of God, but you won't catch me in worship not giving God all that I have. When Jesus observed people giving offerings, the disciples were there and they were measuring the amount of the gift. These people are coming in and the rich and the successful and the the bougie people were coming in and they're dropping big checks in the offering of dropping into the temple coffers and his disciples are like, whoa, that guy just like dropped a major donation and he must be really kind of like bringing it, you know, and Jesus identifies this woman who brings two pennies, puts them in the offering and he says, no, that's what it's all about. Why? Not because she gave more than the other person, but because she gave all that she had. The sacrifice of praise. When we come together into God's house, we are coming with this purpose to offer up to God the sacrifice of praise. And like like I taught last week, when we lift up our praises to the Lord and our worship to him, it's like incense to God and the sacrifice that burns. It's a pleasing aroma to him and he brings down his presence how many of you would like more of the presence of God in your life? Would like more of the kingdom of heaven, more of his healing, more of his power, more of his nearness to you? Like when we worship God, he responds. He's attracted to that magnetically and he shows up. And so we bring the sacrifice of praise. That's why as I teach you today, we go through this and talk about how we worship God and what kinds of sacrifices we bring, the things we can actually practically, functionally do. I want us to understand the spiritual significance of this that this is not dead religion, it's not rote, it's not just ritual. It is actually a living and dynamic uh, uh, tool belt of worship and how when we lift that up to God, it pleases him. We're bringing that sacrifice of praise. The other thing is that in our culture, we're very individualistic, but there's something powerful about corporate worship, coming together into the congregation, coming together into the house of the Lord. And we could do a whole message about this, But as we bring that sacrifice of praise, this isn't just you in isolation. We come together on Sundays or whenever our churches gather to to serve and and engage with God's presence. Uh, Paul David Tripp said this, corporate worship is a regular gracious reminder that it's not about you. Amen. We could just stop right there and be like, okay, if I could get this lesson today, everything would get better. Because I like to make it all about Jake. And I don't know about you, but this is a struggle. And so worship reminds me, it's not all about me. It's about God and it's about my brothers and sisters that I'm loving God with and through and to and in and get it, all this community and family that we're in. He says, you've been born into a life that is a celebration of another. I don't have time to go into the full theology of this, but we talk about at Joy Church that if you can understand two passages of scripture, you can capture a lot of the the heart of God and and the thrust of the Bible, what, what it's going after Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, someone said, what are the two great, what are the great, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's that vertical God word, life of worship to God. And he said, a second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was making a very profound theological point. The way we love others is how we love God. That that relationship with God should, should actually saturate into our human relationships which is why as a church, we stand very strongly on this idea of community and fellowship. 
and corporate worship. I believe there's something valuable about showing up when God's people are gathered to worship. Somebody might say, well, man, are we actually worshiping on the Sabbath or are we actually, should it be Friday or Saturday or Sunday? Well, that day thing, the specific day was done away in Jesus Christ, but the principle remains that we gather together and when God's people are gathered together to give glory to the name of God, be there or be square. Because this is a powerful, significant thing. Many people are missing out on the blessing of God in their life because they simply won't engage in worshiping God how he's asked us and commanded us to worship him. And so we've, we, we've become, as a, as a, even as a Christian culture, smarter than the Bible. If you were ever smarter than the textbook, you missed out. Does that make sense? Like you are now in rarefied air and you might, man, you might be coming up with something new, but you also might be coming up with something really stupid. All these people in our world right now are deconstructing. Like, I'm deconstructing my Christianity and all this kind of stuff. I've never met somebody who deconstructed and built something better than they had in the first place. You know, when I look back at the people in my life that have mentored me, poured into me, encouraged me, trained me, taught me, they had like these basic values. Like when the church doors were open, be there because I'm not smarter than God's people and God's kingdom and God's house. And when God's presence is showing up and we're there to worship and give the sacrifice of praise, be there. Well, we're smarter than the Bible. We're not. So, okay, say, Pastor Jake, calm down. We're, this is the 4th of July. You're not supposed to get excited. We're supposed to just do a real calm message on the 4th of July and go eat barbecue. No, I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> Corporate worship is a regular gracious reminder that it's not about you. You've been born into a life that is a celebration of another. The second passage that I was mentioning, Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The other one is to go into all the world and make disciples. So worship and mission, worship and purpose are connected. Who you worship is going to dictate your purpose. Yeah. Let me say that again. Who you worship and how you worship will dictate your purpose and your mission in life. Good. And so if you understand those things, there's so much value in this concept and topic of worship, and it even pours into our mission and purpose. Now let's talk about how we worship God together. I'm going to go quick because I do want to get us out of here because we're going to a picnic over at Guy Lee Park after service today. Does that start at a particular time? Just post when we get there. Awesome. Here's how we worship God together. <clears throat> in the Bible, specifically in the book of Psalms and in, the, and in the, the practices that we observe that are both explicitly written in Scripture but also implied by the way the church operated and worshiped both Old and New Testament, we can identify nine expressions of worship. And these nine are perhaps not exhaustive, but they are, I think, descriptive of a life of worship and what we can actually do. Uh, nine forms of worship, and these are very practical. There are three categories. The first category is how we use our voice to worship God. The second is how we use our hands to worship God. And the third is how we use our bodies or our posture to worship God. And so I'm going to go through these and just kind of teach them and explain. And this is kind of like Batman's tool belt. You know, he always has the right tool for the job. We're going to learn the tool belt of worship, these, these things that we see biblically, how God receives our worship. Number one, in the area of the voice, we have singing. Psalms 104, 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Singing is in our culture and, and in the world really throughout time and history is one of the primary ways that people communicate emotion with the voice. Singing is a universal expression. Every culture uh, sings to mark moments, significant moments, or even insignificant moments, or express 
their feelings or desires or, their, or a shared kind of a experience. It's interesting to me because singing, uh, we sing uh, at weddings. Like we don't really sing together at weddings so much anymore, but that was very common historically. Like afterwards, people would party and dance and sing and whatever. And I guess we still do that. Um, but usually at weddings, there is some type of a song that is sung. There is some type of, a, of an emotion that's expressed or a truth that's expressed. We also sing at funerals. So at kind of the happiest moments and at the, and at the, the lowest moments of life and death, we, we, we sing. Singing is a way that sort of bypasses, uh, it, it adds some other element of expression to what we're communicating. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, why do Christians sing when they are together? The answer is quite simply because in singing together, it is possible for them to speak and pray the same word at the same time. In other words, because here they can unite in the word. You know, today as we were singing our praises, we were singing, oh, praise the name of the Lord Most High, praise his name forevermore, right? We're, we're, we're all of us engaging as we sing together in the same emotion, in the same direction, in the same moment of worship, in the same prayer to a holy God, and it brings unity in the midst of us, and God's given us this beautiful gift. When you come to church, sing. Come on, if you're from the South, sing, <laughs> Right? When we come to church, like you go, yeah, but I can't carry a tune in a bucket. This is your moment, baby, because God, he just, he has a, he has an auto corrector, right, from in heaven. <laughs> like he hears T-Pain, you know, <laughs> you know, like coming at him. Oh, praise the name. You know, it's like a billy goat because your pitch is so off. But anyways, <laughs> when we're in church, like we get to sing together and express our worship to God. Psalm 95, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully. To the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. God wants to activate you in this area of using your voice in, in singing. And it's not about the quality of your tonality. We're going to get those people that can sing to come up on stage and lead us, right, in singing. But all of us in God's house, we're not spectators, we're participants as we sing and worship God. My, my, my hope for our church, I really believe that we're going to have a day where literally we can't hear the band because we are just connected with this truth and reality of singing and worship to God where we've left the earth far behind. You know, I like it in airplanes when you go through sort of that moment of takeoff and then you're up into the friendly skies and they go, you can take your seatbelts off because we're up here now. You know what I mean? Like we're, we, we've gotten where we wanted to go. I believe that in worship, there's, there's moments where we have left the, like, left the earth behind. We're basically in heaven, and we're just singing with all that we are. Number two, the use of the voice in worship is speaking, just saying something, right? Using your, your words. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. And we could go into all the science of how what we say actually impacts our reticular activating system. And actually uh, uh, changes how we view things and even changes our emotions. There's something powerful about speaking something. And uh, what I've uh, found in my life is that I, as I speak God's truth and as I praise God with my words, even just speaking it out, something like this, Lord, you are worthy. God, you are beautiful. God, thank you for saving me. You are a redeemer. You have broken the chains of sin off my life. As I begin to let my words agree with God's truth, there's a spirit power that comes in that moment. Speaking is the primary way that we as humans communicate. Declaring our praise and worship, speaking it out, aligns us to the truth and reality of God. And it also shares his truth in a community setting. 
One of the ways that lies continue to exist is because good people do not speak truth in a shared sense. You know, we, we live in a, the world that's supposed to be more connected than ever, and yet people are more isolated than ever. And what happens is we live in our own digital echo chambers, and yet there's something beautiful about a group of very diverse people coming together and sharing truth and speaking it out, and it goes into the atmosphere. Uh, not, and and it's, it's overheard by one another. It's overheard by our children, and we're creating an agreement around truth rather than around lies. When we speak out God's praise, it's a reminder of what is true. God, you're good, you are worthy, and I love you because you first loved me. One of the things that we need to do is that every morning you need to preach the gospel to somebody, and that starts with yourself. So when you look in the mirror, you preach the gospel to you. Hey, Jake, you know what? You're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Whatever your inner critic is saying to you this morning is not the the playbook we're going to run with because you are not your past You are made new and you're created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things he planned for you long ago. You have a, God is good. He's worthy of praise. Come on. And you speak it, you speak it, you speak it, you speak it, you speak it. Uh, If you, if you want to, uh, uh, if you're going to say something, speak true things. Come on. And when we're together in church, it's so powerful to speak out our praises. So sometimes we'll say, let's just begin to praise the Lord. God, you're worthy. God, you're good. God, you're, you're awesome in this place. Amen. Number three, use of the voice. Shouting. I can shout louder than that, but I won't. Psalm 98.4 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Shouting is an expression of victory and joy. And, and look, we have a corollary in our world. Fans shout for their teams. Go Ducks. Let's go Ducks. Come on. You guys, come on. That's... We're going to be playing in the Big Ten here soon, you know? These road games in Iowa. Fans shout for their teams. Armies shout to intimidate and to celebrate. You see, when an army historically would would be going into battle, they're yelling and screaming, right? Probably because they're scared and they're trying to scare the other team, you know? Ah! 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 Right? (laughs) There's there's this, this raw thing going on in the shout. And also when they win, they shout, yeah! Yes, we won, right? When we shout to the Lord. Now, for some of you, you're like, what are we talking about? Like, there's something spiritual and good about shouting in church. Yes, in the appropriate moments. Please don't walk in and be like, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You know, (laughs) spiritual Tourette's, you know, no. Like, in the moments, though, in worship, there's something about the shout of the Lord. What does it do? It breaks off depression. It breaks off discouragement. It breaks off oppression, because we shout to celebrate our victory in Christ. We shout to express the joy of our salvation. And if anybody should be good at this, it should be us believers in Eugene, Oregon, because it makes me want to shout, put my hands up and shout, kick my feet up and shout. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Yes. So we, we know how to shout. Man, I love the ducks. But I love Jesus, and I feel like there's been a lot more victory in the kingdom of God in my life than in ducks, right? <laughs> we're going to shout our praise to the Lord. And so sometimes in church, we're going to say, or the worship pastor or whoever is going to say, the worship leader is going to say, hey, let's give a shout to the Lord. When, when we shout as God's people, I tell you what, it, the demons tremble because there's something about people shouting that's like, they're, they're serious about something right now. 
When I shout at my kids, which I rarely ever do, rarely, <laughs> once a year tops. If they've done, right? Yeah, rarely. But when I shout, it arrests their momentum. So when their momentum is into sin and unrighteousness, which it is daily, the shout of the Father brings them back to attention. When you shout in, in church, when you shout and, and, and there's a shout in your life of worship and praise and joy, it, it sort of stops the presses and, and the moment is focused. So shouting is one of our expressions of worship. Number two, the, the, the second part of this triad of how we worship is our hands, what we do with our hands. The first thing is lifting our hands. Psalm 63, 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. 1 Timothy 2, 8, in every place of worship I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Lifting of hands is such a, an, a, a powerful uh, symbol and a powerful act with our, with our hands. Uh, it's a sign of surrender, right? Like when somebody puts a gun up to you and you're like, I surrender, Right? You're expressing vulnerability. I'm I'm not defending myself. I'm not covering myself. I'm open. I'm wide open to you. So when we lift our hands in worship, we're saying, God, all the good, all the bad, you see me, you know me, and you have me. I'm here. And so we lift our hands in the presence of the Lord. We lift our hands. But it's not just a sign of surrender. It's a sign of celebration. Again, using this moment of worship that we all do on Saturdays in the fall, when we go to a football game and we go, you know, score a touchdown, what do we do? touchdown. So it's a celebration sign as well. Lifted hands also expresses uh, an openness to the move of God. And so when we, when we lift our hands every once in a while, I'll kind of shift how I'm using my hands, not because I think that the you know, spiritual current shifts with the way I have my hand necessarily, but in my, the posture of my heart. When I put my hands up like this, I'm, I'm expressing to God that I'm worshiping you. I'm, I'm elevating you. I'm, I'm lifting up your name. But sometimes I'll turn my hands like this, and receive. God, what are you speaking? What are you saying? What are you doing in this moment? I'm open to receive what you're doing, but I'm not doing nothing. I'm bringing a sacrifice, and I'm using my hands as I sing, as I, as I speak, as I worship God. My hands are a sign. Number two, clapping. It says in Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. When somebody does something really cool, we're watching you know, somebody at the Olympics, and they win the race. What do we do? We're like, yeah! We clap our hands. Uh, clapping is a way for us to recognize and celebrate someone's accomplishment. And then also clapping is connected to music. So we keep the beat, right? And some people don't keep the beat very well. But you can, this is a good moment to practice, right? Just watch that snare drum, whatever the drummer's doing. Ka, ka, that's when you clap, right? And how many of you are like, oh, that's when we clap? <laughs> Hallelujah. Just bring in some rhythm to some people today. All right. And then when you go to worship the Lord and, and our, our wonderful brothers and sisters in Mexico, they clap on the, the on beat, you know? And so it's like, I'll be in church and you're like, find the white dude. I'm like, on, oh, oh we're clapping a different way here, you know? <laughs> it's a different thing. So when you go to Joy Church La Paz, just reverse what I said. Go for that kick drum, you know? That's your clap on the on beat. All right. But clapping is, a, is another use of our hands in worship. Um, how many of you have ever been like, I don't know what to do with myself in this moment, Right? clap. Like, that looks cool, right? I remember, like, growing up in church, man, there were all these different types of claps, and there was, like, this one lady, she had that full chicken arm clap, you know? (laughs) Anyways, okay. Sometimes being a pastor's kid uh, leaks out. All right. (laughs) Playing instruments. 
So the third use of our hands in, in worship is playing instruments. Now, some of you might not play an instrument, uh, and that's, that's okay because obviously not everyone is gifted or graced with this, but it is a way that we worship God, and we believe in the playing of instruments in our services and in church because music has a powerful uh, uh, connection to the spirit world. How many of you would say that after coming to Christ, you, you, the, the old music that you would listen to sort of reminded you of who you used to be? And so, so many people would go through uh, salvation and they'd realize when I listened to, you know, whatever kind of music that I used to listen to when I did drugs or when I was, you know, being immoral or whatever, it sort of brings you back. Music is sort of a, a it's very connected to the soul. Biblically, we see that King Saul, he was tormented and David would, would play and, and God's spirit would move through that music and it would actually calm the king. It says in Psalm 149, 3, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. And this is not a, um, an opening for anybody to bring a tambourine to church. Um, or a harp. Go, you go Rambo on that tambo at your own house, maybe at your joy group. You know. You'd be Stevie Nicks at home, but don't bring it here. But uh, we believe in playing instruments, and, and it, there's something prophetic about it. God moves prophetically through the playing of instruments. Music has always been a gateway to the spirit world. And so when we minister to the Lord with instruments, we open up a path for his presence. And there's something about uh, music when it's done well, like our team does such a great job, man, awesome job, uh, of opening up, creating an atmosphere where our hearts and our spirits and our minds and our emotions can sort of get into alignment with God. And so we believe in this. Now, again, if you don't play an instrument, it's not like you're missing out. Uh, you're participating in it with your brothers and sisters in the house of God, and you're thanking God for those that are gifted. And when you clap your hands, you're playing an instrument, right? When I was uh, growing up in church, I'm a drummer. That was my first instrument. And before I got to play the drums in church, they were like, you get to play the sticks. And so I had these two, I think they're called clavi or whatever, and I would just talk, 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 talk. You know, every once in a while, I'd get really spicy. Talk, 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 talk. Worship pastor would give me one of these. You know, keep it on the on-beat, son. Anyways, uh, when we clap our hands, we're, we're participating in that. All right. Number three, the use of our body, our posture. First, the first way we worship with our posture is by standing, standing up. Why do we, why do we stand in church? Now, if you can't stand, don't, I'm not, there's no criticism on this. But if you are physically able to stand, we, we want to do this in worship. Why? Because standing demonstrates honor and attention. We stand up for the bride when she walks in at a wedding, right? Uh, we stand for dignitaries when they enter the room. If the president walks in or whoever, you know, the governor of the state, we're going to stand. We're not going to sit. What's up? You know, like that makes you look kind of corny, right? You, you, you stand up like something, someone serious has just entered the room. That's why we stand in church. And our, our standing is not just a standing because everybody else is standing. We're standing at attention. We're standing in honor of God. Psalm 33.8 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. When something incredible happens, typically you get up and you're like, you're in awe, like you're standing uh, again to go back to the football stadium. When something awesome happens, everybody gets up on their feet because we're all physically recognizing something really cool just happened. The second use of our body is kneeling or bowing. So kneeling, like getting down on your knees or bowing, you know, whether you're bowing like this or you're laying all the way down, 
Uh, there's different ways to bow. It says in Psalm 95, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. Kneeling or bowing is a sign of deep reverence, and it expresses profound humility. There's times when in the presence of God, I just am so overcome with his beauty, his majesty, and I'm, I'm so gracious or grateful for what God has done that I can do nothing but just get on my knees and just bow down before him. You know, there's times in, in, in worship where we just need to get down on our hands and knees and just bow before the Lord. Um, there's something beautiful about this. We bow before royalty. You know, even, even in countries where they still have a, a monarch, um, I know we're all about like 4th of July fireworks, throw off the king and all that kind of stuff, but but in, in nations where they have monarchs, they, they still bow to that, that king or queen uh, royalty. And so kneeling and bowing is another expression of worship. There might be times in our corporate gatherings where whoever's leading that service might say, okay, church, let's, let's just get on our, whoever's you know, capable, get on their knees and let's bow before the Lord. We, we try to limit that at Joy Church because we, we have concrete floors. But um, <laughs> you're like, oh God, this is really an act of sacrifice, you know. <laughs> But we can, uh, we can incorporate this in our worship. Number three, I know this is your favorite. This is the moment you've been waiting for. This is the one. This is the one that will set you free. Come on and worship. It's dancing. Dancing. The third use of our posture of our body in worship is we dance before the Lord. Uh, it says in Psalm 30, 11, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. Man, I'll tell you right now, my, my daughter, Penny, she's into gymnastics and stuff, and she just dances, like, through the house. She'll be like, good morning, and she's, like, pirouetting, and, you know, and can I have some Captain Crunch, you know, and, like, she's just dancing, and we're like, could you just, I can't track you, could you sit still, please, you know. In, in, in the heart of a child, there is a freedom to just be free, to just move and, and express uh, feeling and emotion you have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. Dancing is a total release of joy and passion. Dancing is hard for us, I think, in our time because we, man, we'll dance at Autzen a little bit, like make me want to shout or whatever, and, and we don't think that's cheesy. Maybe you do think it's cheesy, and maybe it is cheesy, but we all do it because we're into the moment, and yet we come to church and we act like, who died? You know, because honestly, we serve a risen Savior, so church isn't a funeral. I think one of the, the worst things that's happened in a lot of churches, not the churches I grew up in, but some churches, man, they just dead. It's like God used to go to that church 50 or 60 years ago, but he stopped a long time ago. And people keep going, you know, and then it's just a funeral service. And there's no joy and passion. But I tell you what, when I'm in God's presence and I think about Jesus, my Savior, who my whole life is for and who I love, man, it makes me want to dance. I want to I get loose. I want to dance because there's joy and there's passion. And you're like, please, God, don't let Pastor Jake dance for us. No, I'm, I'm not going to do a dance for you. But in worship, uh, it's, it, 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 dancing completely requires laying down our ego and just getting lost in the presence of God. You know, I think that there, there's something powerful that God does when we're just like dancing. And you go, well, what do you mean dancing? Are we doing like a tango, you know, up here? No, I, I don't know what it looks like for you, but... Uh, you know, maybe jumping up and down. Maybe it's just moving side to side. Maybe for you dancing, you just get that neck muscle activated a little bit. You know, Bob with the music. Maybe we'll have the team play some funky, funky music so we can really get down. But dancing is a, is a way that we worship the Lord. 
David danced before the Lord, and his, his wife, Michael, was looking out of the window, and she was like, oh, the king of Israel, you know, he's undignified himself before the, the maids of Israel. And she's kind of challenging him, and he said, well, I, I will be even more undignified than this. In other words, my ego will never stop me from being full out, 100% pedal to the metal in worship to the risen Savior. I'm never going to back it down because somebody thinks he's going a little too far. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'll be even more undignified than this. God wants to unlock something powerful. And so you go, okay, there's all these nine forms. Are we going to do every single one of them on a Sunday? Maybe not, but these are our tool belt. These are the ways that God asks for worship. You know, Jack has his three Bs, bacon and bucks and bedtime extensions, and that's how he feels blessed. God gives us these, these things. And again, it's not an exhaustive list. Pastor Mark's going to be preaching next week. What, what? And uh, he's going to talk about living a life of worship, some of the ways we live, live out our worship outside of even just the Sunday morning. But on Sunday morning, these nine things are going to be part of our services because we believe that this is how God invites us to worship. Amen? And these are powerful things that bring such great spiritual freedom. I believe that worshiping God together is an absolutely incredible privilege, and God responds to our praise. We want more of the presence of God here, not less. As a church, when we engage God with worship, He responds by pouring out His Spirit. I believe that we need the supernatural power of God in our services for us, for everyone that God brings into these moments, and we get to see Him clearly in our worship and as we engage in these things. So I pray that these were encouraging to you and that you'll go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the tools in my tool belt to worship the Lord. Let's just take a moment as we get ready to close today. And let's just worship him. Lori can play that piano. Turn up that piano a little bit, Nick, if you don't mind. And let's just spend some time in the presence of the Lord with our voices beginning to magnify him. Oh Lord, we magnify your name. For you are worthy to receive our praise. I lift my hands in your house, Lord. I give you all the glory. There is none like you. You are worthy to receive our worship, Lord. I want to sit at your feet. Look upon your beauty, God, the world cannot compare to who you are. I will glorify your name in your house, O oh Lord. I'll praise you with my words, with all that I am, for you are worthy to receive. Worthy to receive our praise. Worthy to receive our worship, God. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's give a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We celebrate you, God. Yes, we worship you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, what a great day in church. Awesome day to be here together. Real quick before we go, I'd ask if everybody would just bow their heads and close their eyes for just a moment. I want to give anyone in this place today an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus. So, you know, we, we ask that in this moment you would just make a, 
a confession of faith that you would say, you know what, I'm in, I want to follow Jesus. But this gift of salvation and this gift of being reconnected to God is going to be a lifetime journey. It's not something that you just pray magic words and all of a sudden all your problems go away in life. No, no, no. Jesus invites you like he did 2,000 years ago to his first disciples to follow me. And so Jesus is calling you today to follow him. And the first step of following Jesus is to confess your sin and say, I need a savior. I need to be forgiven for my sins and I need to be made right with God. And I'm committing myself to him, not just as the Savior, but as my Lord, that I will follow him in my life and give my allegiance to him. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to start this journey of following Jesus. I want, to, I want him to save me, to rescue me from my sin, to forgive me, make me brand new, and I want to become his follower. Would you just raise your hand so I can see? I'm not going to embarrass you today. Thank you so much. I'm not going to make you come up or anything. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Just pray this prayer with me today, and we're all going to pray it together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.